0: Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 versus Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash treks and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytrex. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening.
1: Hello everyone! Welcome to the very, very first episode of the Galaxy's Most Retro Podcast. That's right, it's Legion of Superheroes versus Strange New Worlds. We're taking a little bit of a pause from our long-term exploration of Babylon 5 and DS9. To talk about the great new season of uh, new trek star trek strange new worlds and i thought like a good comparison to that would be the legion of superheroes especially the cartoon from the mid 2000s so that's what we're comparing we'll uh, be on a break for about 10 weeks doing this and then we'll be back back on that babylon 5 versus ds9 uh, grind but i am bob in cascadia that is matt in the southland how you doing tonight matt
0: doing great see guys the problem was Neither of us could afford our HBO Max subscriptions. <laughs> so, That's right. We'll,
1: now, if you went to Patreon.com slash Uncanny Treks, if you found Matt and Bob on Patreon and you kicked in, maybe we could afford our deeply expensive HBO Max subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, we had to choose between Paramount that. Plus
0: or HBO Max, and we were like, uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> got to watch that Star Trek. So.
1: Well, I think what it really was, for me at least, was we. this has been kind of exhausting because we've been recording three episodes a week. We do X-Men 92 versus Young Justice for our patrons. We do Babylon 5 versus DS9. And then we were covering Picard, which, uh, you know, was kind of a chore. And when Strange New Worlds came out, it was like, oh, this is great. I want to take some time, really give this the coverage it deserves. But doing keep keeping up the three the three-a-week pace for another 10 weeks didn't seem uh, sustainable. So we're going to take a just a brief pause on Babylon 5 versus DS9, and we'll be back to that soon.
0: Let's get talking about these shows, Bob.
1: Yeah, before we actually dive into the first two uh, pilots, Matt, do you know anything about the Legion of Superheroes or the Legion?
0: All right, here are the things I know, Bob. I know they've got rings. Do you know what the rings do? No. No. <laughs> They're flight rings. Oh, <laughs> they, they fly, they're flight they're fly, rings. <laughs> they're flight rings. Okay, so yes, they are can all yes. so they can all fly apparently. I guess. All right, they can and, all fly with the flight rings. But
1: Brainiac Five invented them.
0: Okay, yeah. so I know that Superboy usually hangs out with these guys. This is true. Yeah, I, I never understood that at Supergirl, all. it's
1: Supergirl, but usually it's Superboy.
0: I never really understood that at all. I just kinda like let it be one of its own thing, you know, like I never really looked at Legion of Superheroes in the past. Like
1: Well it's like a fun silver age conceit. They started showing up in like fifty eight, I think. No. Yeah. And so they they uh they showed up for a few Superboy stories and then they were popular enough that they gave them like a backup spot in adventure comics, which original you know, eventually turned into them being that cover feature for adventure comics. Oh.
0: Yeah, and I just know they all have planet names. That's about it. Wrong. I mean, some of them do. I mean, Lightning's not a planet. Only one.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure only one has a planet name, unless I'm forgetting somebody
0: else. Saturn Girl.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's the only one.
0: Pluto Boy. Also, uh,
1: (laughs) if you want to be really technical, she's not from Saturn. She's from Titan. Okay. But I think she's the only one with a planet name. But they do usually have like uh the sort of like boy girl kid lass lad names that
0: that is pretty common oh i could have sworn there was like a jupiter or something up in there what about what about uranus bob oh that was so witty matt i could never
1: have predicted that where did that come from i just i the the wit you have the joke out i mean it it honestly i'm i'm honored to be podcasting with you matt
0: you're telling me one of them's not called Uranus, lad? <laughs> yes,
1: Matt. I'm, yeah, clearly not. It's Bouncing Boy. He's right B- there.
0: Oh, yeah, Bouncy Boy. Uh, uh, so, Bob, bouncy that's really... A, boy. Not, bouncing, bouncy boy bouncy not Bouncy Boy. Not Bouncy? Bouncing? Or Bouncy? Ing.
1: I- the bouncy. participle form. I- gotcha. I-N-G.
0: All right. So, Bob, <laughs> why, why the Legion?
1: Uh, They're my favorite team. I like them even more than the X-Men. Uh, That's number one. Uh, Number two, they kind of have this retro and utopian future vibe that I think makes them a good comparison point to Star Trek, especially Strange New Worlds. And then uh, number three, Hobo Max is supposed to do a Legion cartoon in the near future that I want us to cover. It could perhaps spin out of Young Justice, although it may not be a spinoff, It's too soon to say. So, you know, we cover Young Justice already on our Patreon show, Uncanny Treks, so I want us to cover the Legion show eventually too. So this seemed like... The, uh, the way to uh, go ahead and get Legion coverage in. Also, we know Strange New Worlds has um, uh, two seasons already. It's been, like, contracted for two seasons. And the Legion of Superheroes cartoon has two seasons. So makes a nice match.
0: Yeah, because yeah, uh, at first I wasn't quite sold on how we we're going to, like, get tie these two shows together in any way. But I see it is there with the setting. That, that's that's the key piece here
1: yeah yeah definitely the the, the time and uh, future setting yeah yeah you want to walk us through the uh, a plot of our uh, first legion of superheroes episode matt which is uh, man of tomorrow that originally aired on the 23rd of 2006.
0: so three members of the legion of superheroes their numbers spread thin across the galaxy travel back in time a thousand years to smallville to recruit a young superman to help them fight their deadliest foes, the Fatal Five.
1: Yeah, yeah. So usually this is pretty much how it works, right? Um, they, yeah, they've stopped playing the Superboy Legion connection up as much as they used to. Like in the 70s and the 60s, that was the big thing. But in the 80s and the 90s, they downplay, in the 2000s, they downplayed it. But you see it here. This is the basic setup. They, yeah, they admire Superboy they go back into the past grab superboy let him go on adventures with them in the future and it's a kind of interesting little time travel paradox right because on the one hand it's superboy's example that helps them become the legion of superheroes in the 30th century or the 31st century but on the other hand it's them befriending superboy is what kind of guarantees that he will become superman in a sense so there's a little bit of a grandfather paradox here
0: yeah, a paradox hurts my brain, Bob. That, that's that's too much. <laughs> Wait, do you want to describe the
1: nature of your pain, Matt? How, how are you feeling?
0: No, it's, it's, Where, it's where's a, it hurting your head? Right down the middle. It's bad.
1: Do you think it was strange that they never called uh, Superman Superboy in this cartoon?
0: Um, I found it weird because I kept waiting for them to say Superboy, and it never really like happened. They kept hinting around it how he wasn't quite Superman yet. Even Lightning Lad called him like Super Geek, or, or so I thought he was going to pull out the Superboy oh, yeah, thing yeah. at that point. Yeah, but he called him something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the reason they might be so gun shy about that at this point is I believe in 2006 they're still in a lawsuit with the families of the creators of um, Superman and Superboy. And so they were a lot more skittish about using the. The f- name Superboy to refer to Clark Kent, like they would do it for like Connor Kent, but they wouldn't do it for Clark Kent at the time. Does that make sense?
0: oh it does make sense. Okay, so they're almost yeah, they're really two separate characters at this point, like very distinguishable. Whereas I think prior to the Superboy from the n- mid nineties, it was just like that was little Superman or younger, you know, you know not a yeah, completely separate God. character yeah. and entity. If that makes sense definitely
1: definitely uh speaking of like the legacy of uh superman what did you think of that uh good old superman museum
0: it looked like the tim versus superman was in several of the images uh like and for our listeners who aren't familiar with comic books, tim versus like batman the animated series superman the animated series uh justice league justice league unlimited the cartoon series that aired for you know early 90s and yeah, the, the early, early 90s aughts.
1: to like the late aughts maybe yeah. yeah
0: yeah so is this is this meant to tie into that continuity
1: i don't think it's meant to directly because the legion shows up i think twice in the Timverse. they show up in one episode of superman the animated series and then they show up in one justice league unlimited episode and they're a little different visually and just kind of like how they how they carry themselves they're a little different but i mean that being said i i don't think there's anything that would like deeply say that this can't be the same legion or that this can't be the superman who then you know goes on to to be the superman in the superman the animated series i wouldn't draw a hard line about that or anything okay all right so we get um quick references in the episode to cosmic boy colossal boy and shrieking violet who we see in silhouettes in the uh, credits we also see uh, star boy in the credits and uh so we're gonna see a uh, over time slowly a lot more legionnaires that's usually one of the traits of the legion is that they're huge um usually about 30 members but usually you know you kind of only focus on like five or so characters at a time just for the sake of economy so that's a that's kind of a little preview of where we're going character wise. And did you like the gag we see where Superboy is like seems to run away from the fight with the Fatal Five, and a, but then he comes back later?
0: Yeah, I called that like early on. I was like, they placed it out like it, they they played it out like he was going to be afraid. But I do like how the costume automatically fit his form when he put it on. Uh, again, cause at first it was unstable molecules, baby. Yeah,
1: unstable molecules. Exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah it's also to kind of add to your time travel paradox headache um we sort of get these funny gags where it's like superboy doesn't really know the extent of his powers yet and so lightning lad has to explain to him that he has freeze breath um brainy gives him the idea to fly with like one arm facing forward so like he doesn't know until the legion kind of tells him that he has these things
0: yeah, and then i guess the idea is that he is then in going to one day go back to his like own time and become Superman is that the idea is that
1: yeah yeah well and it they they handle it a little differently here than they do in the Silver Age comics in the Silver Age comics it's like he's constantly coming forward and backward in time like all the time um but in this it's more that he's only he's going to have like one long adventure with the legion you know like for however long the show lasts and then they're gonna put him back in the 20th century at the same moment he left if that makes sense
0: right yeah that does matter yeah i I found that part really i found that part of the the whole story just really cool though like i thought it's kind of a neat way to to like set him up as this is how he learned how to use his powers through the legion they taught him how to do all these things because you do wonder like where he learned how to
1: yeah and there's just things where like batman and wonder woman like have like so much more about like their training and like where they come from kind of built into their story where that's not so true with superman or superboy if you don't have the legion there right
0: right which makes sense it has a whole extra piece to his origin
1: i mean do you think there's a way so you're like you were the bigger superman fan than me for the longest time although i think we kind of grew up in the 80s like on the in the, in the 90s on the post-crisis superman which i think the thinking during like the immediate post-crisis era was having the legion sort of cheapens superman because like the you know like oh if he didn't figure this out all himself it kind of makes him less of a hero or something do you, would you agree with that at all or do you think there's like a way in which oh actually the fact that he like hung out with like 30 odd teenagers who all have um advanced powers from the future like that sort of cheapens him in some way or do you think it's it's just a cool it's just a cool enough idea that's not worth worrying about
0: i mean i think it's like at this point looking back you know at everything I've, I've ever read superman i think it really just adds to it i think it's a good thing i don't think it cheapens it at all it kind of almost it it, it almost makes to me it adds a whole new layer to his training that's just the main thing
1: yeah, yeah, I mean... I
0: if, think, you, I, if you I think look I, at, like, the Christopher Reeve movie, I mean, he technically, he goes and he creates the Fortress of Solitude with that green crystal thing, and then yeah. jor takes him away for ten years, and then he comes back as Superman.
1: Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten that.
0: Well, I was just thinking, so when I'm thinking like this, I'm thinking, oh, well, see, now I'm thinking they could have done, like, a movie where he, like, a Legion movie where he goes away that ten years to be with a Legion <laughs> and comes back. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's pretty <laughs> badass.
1: Well, it, it is kind of funny to think that, like, the comics that Superman 78 is working off of, like, that Superman did hang out with the Legion, whereas if you think of, like, the other, uh, the more modern interpretations, like the Lois and Clark show or Superman the Animated Series, uh, like, that Superman is, you know, more based on, like, the John Byrne, like, post-crisis Superman, and so that Superman didn't encounter the Legion. It's a kind of... Well, I guess he sort of does in... Superman the animated series. But nonetheless, it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of divide, I guess.
0: Right. Yeah. Because right. in the in the in the Burn series, they really didn't even have a Superboy I mean, like there's not really a Superboy phase, you know, where he just goes from being
1: Yeah, yeah. Like John Byrne had like this like hardcore idea that I actually don't buy into, but that like if there are other Kryptonians or if that that if Superman interacts with the Legion, like it makes him less special and less interesting, right? Which I I can see why you would think that, but that's just to me, no. Like the Silver Age Superman with all the Kryptonians <laughs> and all the Legion is so much more interesting and has like a, a such a more developed like science fiction mythology behind him. Where there's things I like about like the John Byrne post crisis Superman, but like ultimately in some ways he's just a he's just a lamer Spider Man, you know?
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> true so talk, let's talk about these these characters bob uh i've got saturn girl bouncing boy brainiac five lightning lad triplicate girl phantom girl
1: yeah okay. do you have a sense of any of their powers matt
0: okay saturn girl does she do like a uh men in black like did, is she the one that made their minds like wiped their minds when they saw her
1: yeah yeah she's a telepath she's a telepath and before you say anything she she comes five years before jean gray just want to make that clear
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right bouncing boy he's like plastic man but he like turned into a ball
1: yeah yeah and it's kind of interesting because bouncing boy is usually like played as a joke or left out especially like after the 60s but in the 21st century, where we've gotten a little more uh, fond of Silver Age wackiness, you see, you're see starting to see him more in the Legion again. And here, like, his ball form is, like, shown to be basically as strong as Superboy, I think. Like, both Superboy and Bouncing Boy's ball form are, like, holding up that Ferris wheel. So yeah. I just thought that was a kind of nice touch about his power level. Yeah.
0: Um, then you've got brainiac five uh i i don't i I don't know i don't know what i know who brainiac is from superman
1: yeah yeah so brainiac would five would be what his great great grandson okay and uh we we do find out in the comics at least who brainiac four and three are too i don't know if we ever find out who brainiac two is but we later in the comics find out who like brainiac three and brainiac four are but yeah he's basically just brainiac from the from the superman comics but good usually he's played as like his is like his fifth level or sorry 12th level intelligence yeah he's supposed to be like one of the smartest people in uh in the galaxy in the original um legion comics brainiac is played more as like an organic being who just like is really smart and interfaces with computers But, like, in later versions, a lot of times they play him more as, like, kind of computer-like or robot-like. And so you sort of see that here with, like, that kind of creepy neck extension trick he does. Kind of makes him a little more robot-like.
0: Yeah. Then you've got Lightning Lad. I'm just assuming he shoots lightning.
1: Very very safe, very correct assumption.
0: Okay. And there's Triplicate Girl. She can make two copies of herself. So there are three of her. Yeah, yeah.
1: Although uh, she comes from a planet where everybody can do that and this varies, but like usually the, usually each is shown as like reflecting a kind of like different aspect of her personality and being a kind of like kind of independent being to a certain extent. Like even though obviously they're yoked together, they're still sort of like independent beings in a certain sense.
0: And then you've got Phantom Girl, who I'm guessing can like phase through shit, but I didn't really remember what yeah, she could do. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, sometimes she's shown as having like connections to the Phantom Zone. That that comes up sometimes. But okay. yeah, yeah. She she phases through stuff. Um she's like my absolute favorite legionnaire but she doesn't have that much going on in this episode. She's just kind of there, just kind of amused that uh the Superboy they get doesn't really li- doesn't really live up to like the legend of them Yeah. So did you have a favorite among uh the non Superboy legionnaires in this episode?
0: Uh I'm going to go with Triplicate Girl. Uh she doesn't say much. But her design and movements give me like those like PS one dancing game vibes, like (laughs) (laughs) a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She
1: she would fit like very well in like a what is it Dance Dance Revolution, is that one of them? Yes. Yeah, yeah. She would she would fit very well as a playable character in that. And yeah, there's something very kind of disco y about like what it were her colours purple, orange and what was the third one?
0: White. Uh, Yeah, green orange and white. Yeah, she was several different colors. She kept changing them.
1: Yeah. All right. And then, so we see the Fatal Five, too. Um, Do you want to do a quick rundown of the five members of the Fatal Five?
0: You've got Emerald Empress, okay? Yeah. She's got some kind of eye or something. I don't know what she can do.
1: Yeah. It's called, like, the Emerald Eye of Ekron, and in some versions, it's shown to be like a prototype for the green lantern corps weaponry and is like sentient and so in some ver in some because there's a lot of different legion continuities because they've been reset several times but in some versions like the eye is sentient and the eye gets different hosts to be the emerald empress and is, is somewhat influencing or controlling what your given host as the emerald empress is doing if that makes sense
0: yeah and then uh you got mono Mano, yeah. Mano. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you remember what his gimmick was?
0: No. He's
1: it got is. like an anti matter right hand. So oh, okay. Like any, anything he touches with that hand, he can blow up or burn through.
0: Now, is that why he wears that like weird costume? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've got the Persuader.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so he's got an atomic axe, and it's supposed to be able to cut through, including like in some things like gravity or to cut through space-time. So, very, you know, you can cut, go into other dimensions, potentially, with the axe. So, there you go. And you got Throck, And so Tharok is like half-cyborg. Um, you know, he's basically just the evil Brainiac 5, and he controls uh, Validus, who we'll get to in a minute and usually either Tharok or the Empress is shown as the leader.
0: Okay. You got Validus.
1: Yeah, so like big dumb brute with like an electric brain controlled by Tharok. Although in the 80s we fi- we finally find out where he comes from and it's kind of wild. So by the 80s uh, Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad have gotten married and they have twins. And in revenge on the Legion for defeating him, Darkseid kidnaps one of their twins, uh, takes him to Apocalypse, turns him into Validus, and then brings him back in time to be, like, the enemy of the Legion.
0: Oh, that's awful.
1: Darkseid's a really nasty dude, bro. Little (laughs) asshole. Were were these guys, like, vaguely familiar to you at all?
0: No, I didn't recognize any of (laughs) them.
1: Okay, they they sometimes show up in the present, like sometimes not not usually not that often, but sometimes they're brought they're brought into the present.
0: Yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite so far? Yeah, I like Mano's design. Balladus just kind of looks like a Cenobite reject. From Hellraiser.
1: <laughs> I I that you saying that makes me wish they'd gone like more in that direction with like the pinheads.
0: Yeah. Throck looks like cyborg, and then persuader just has marvel written all over him so
1: well like interestingly these characters were invented in like the mid-60s when have you ever heard of uh, jim shooter no he's uh he was like the editor of marvel in the 70s but in the and the, the late 70s the early 80s but he started writing comics for dc in the mid 60s when he was like 15 or something
0: yeah
1: and basically the the old guys at dc couldn't figure out how to duplicate marvel style so they brought jim shooter on as a 15 year old to duplicate the marvel oh. style and so he he wrote some great legion stories in the mid 60s and one of the things he did was introduce the fatal five so yeah they even though the legion predate like uh predate the marvel universe and in some sense i think influenced the marvel universe the fatal five are like a post marvel thing all right matt do you want to walk us through the a plot of the strange new worlds pilot which uh, is called strange new worlds and aired on cinco de mayo 2022
0: so in the a plot the uss enterprise goes to rescue number one from the consequences of the climactic battle in discovery season two while pike deals with the personal revelations from the events of disco season two
1: yeah yeah so we get kind of a cool fake out at the beginning where we have um what seems to be humans who are like 21st or 22nd century humans dealing with first contact, but they actually just turn out to be humanoid aliens. That was a that was a pretty good little gag.
0: They always end up humanoid. Like, wh- whatever planet they go to, there's got to be some other, like, formation.
1: No, Matt, we've explained this. They're the seeders, remember? <laughs> From late <laughs> next generation. <laughs> they seeded all the worlds. That's why they all look humanoid. <laughs> we've been through
0: this. Okay. <laughs> well, all right
1: then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after the uh, the opening, we've got some very cool shots of Montana. You know, this is uh, get nice little windmill shots because we're in the you know utopian green energy future um, where the planet hasn't been baked. And then uh, we get to see uh, Pike making a breakfast for his lady friend. Uh, He's got The Day the Earth Stood Still on, which is one of my favorite uh, 1950s science fiction movies. Very cool movie. The remake is awful, though. And uh, we see that uh, Daddy Pike has a very cool and hot beard. It's uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff.
0: There was Pike with his mountain man look. He was still getting (laughs)
1: laid. (laughs) Yeah, getting laid. Getting laid. And then... Eventually, we have a shuttle coming up onto Pike's cabin in Montana, disturbing his, uh, you know, his nice little retreat. And, uh, well, the Internet erupted, Matt, because it turns out that Robert April, the Admiral, and the first captain of the Starship Enterprise, is a black man. And the Internet just can't handle it. What? Really? (laughs) God. Yeah, Matt. The The animated series is the highest canon there is, Matt, and the fact that he was an old white man in one episode of the animated series <laughs> means that canon has been irreparably damaged by the fact that yeah. he's a black man in this new TV show. There's just no repairing it. Like, what can no. we do about it? Do you remember when we were kids, they had uh, the picture of Robert April in the Star Trek encyclopedia? No. So, I, I was a stupid kid, and I didn't realize this, but later i realized that it's just a picture of gene roddenberry like in a kind of you know start uh, yellow command shirt right so i but when i was a stupid kid i was like oh that's really robert april now now it's like oh yes that that's that's gene rottenberry so of course this is the other uh this is the other thing that uh racist fans can point to because he appeared as an old man in an animated series episode (laughs) and the creator uh (laughs) appeared as him in an image in in an encyclopedia so clearly you could never cast a black man to play him
0: i'm just saying if you listen to this podcast and you have like a problem with this just just please unsubscribe just for clarification
1: i could see a little room to be annoyed because there is a kind of developing trope where you always have like the black man who gives you the mission right like i feel like sam jackson kind of pioneers that as nick fury in the in the avengers movies but I, i think that is sort of becoming a little bit of a trope so i could see people being understandably a little annoyed about that as a trope but like Yeah, if you're deeply invested in the racial identity of Robert April, I just don't know what to tell you.
0: Yeah, good life. (laughs) All right, what'd you think of the opening credit scene to Strange New Worlds, Matt? I mean, it was all right. It wasn't anything like uh, it was. It was more fun. It it fit more in with like what 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 we see in Prodigy. I don't know why it just stuck with me. There's also this weird new logo thing they do too, like with the Star Trek intro. Um. Like at the beginning of the show. Did you catch that? Yeah, 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 it, yeah It's, I did, it's I did like an that, enterprise yeah. going across and then it like goes up and says it just says Star Trek. And then Well, I think
1: that's an homage to like the original series logo, right?
0: Right, yeah. It's got that same kind of look at it in the entry, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I will say, like, I do think you're like astute to point out the similarity to Prodigy. They both they both are are kind of a little overproduced a little heavy on the cgi in the opening credit scene yeah yeah i think that's true um i mean i don't love it um i certainly prefer like i'm a kind of purist i like the original series or next gen or ds9 or voyager openers um but i mean that said like disco picard prodigy and enterprise all have terrible opening scenes and uh, Strange New Worlds opening credit scene is way way better than that, so you know I'm still I'm still pretty pleased with it overall. I would have to say. Yeah. Any thoughts about us meeting uh, Spock's fiancee T'Pring uh, from that old episode of Muck Time?
0: Uh, I was surprised she was there. Yeah. I it, I don't know. For some reason, the scene gave me like uh, it reminded me of a lot of the scenes from uh, the from Abrams Trek. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, I, it had this, I guess this that's feeling. fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Something about the way they shoot the planet Vulcan, although, I mean, I would say that, like, Ethan Peck and the lady playing T'pring, uh are a lot better at acting and have a lot more chemistry than anybody who would ever appear in an Abrams film. Yeah. <laughs> I really, yeah. really, really hate Abrams films. <laughs> yeah, we, we can tell, Bob. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we get to see her be passive-aggressive uh, to both Pike and Spock, uh, you know, her telling uh, Pike that Spock was about to be naked. <laughs> that that was a great little moment. Yeah. And then in, a, in great moments in, like, selective outrage history, I, I saw people on Facebook and on Twitter being angry about April being black, but I didn't see anyone angry that Transporter Chief Kyle is now Asian. So <laughs> very, very selective outrage, I'll just say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you dun, remember dun. kyle from the original series no <laughs> he's uh, a he's an english dude that i think that's about the only thing that there is to say about him he's he's not in all of the original series but he's the, probably the most frequent transporter chief operator in the original series and he's an english dude okay did you have any thoughts on how they were teasing lieutenant kirk during the show
0: yeah it it was a fun little tease because sam kirk is jim kirk's brother correct <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we see him on screen, but there's a, I think it's one of the later episodes of either season one or season two of the original series where Kirk, Kirk, like, and the Enterprise go to a colony where his brother lives and like his brother's been killed at the colony. I think like they've all been killed by these like weird kind of like jellyfish creatures, if I recall. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I, it was a little bit of a surprise to me because I assumed they were talking about Jim Kirk, especially since they had announced casting of a, a guy uh, playing Jim Kirk for the show. So that that was a big surprise for me, although I'm not sure if they intended that to be a surprise or not, but it later clarified after we figure out that it is indeed Sam Kirk. Um, the guy they cast for Jim Kirk is only for season two of the show, apparently. Oh, okay. So we, we will actually see Jim Kirk. We will, we will, but not not for this season, apparently. And so since old number one has been abducted on her first contact mission on a ride, uh, we get a temporary new number one uh, who turns out to be a Noonian Seeing Any thoughts
0: on that? So that means she's related to Khan, right? Yeah, yeah. This is like the second Khan reference we've had this week
1: yeah yeah, so we we also uh, have Data's ancestor pull out the uh, Project Khan book uh, towards the end of the Picard finale. So yeah, they're really going heavy on the Khan and Eugenics War references, and that's not even that's not even the last um, eugenics war reference in this uh, episode. So there we go. And then were you surprised, uh, that not so we don't just have T'Pring and S- Lieutenant Sam Kirk, we also have and a, an a Khan con reference, but we also have Cadet Uhura. Were you surprised to see Uhura?
0: Yeah, for some reason I'd missed that she was gonna be on this show. I don't know I don't know if it just wasn't as heavily advertised, but I think it's uh I think it's awesome. And the actress playing her seems suited for the role. Like she's she's got just enough of the same mannerisms down that, like, you know, Nichelle Nichols in such an iconic role, mm. you know, was in. I, I hadn't noticed her getting the mannerisms right, but that's in that's interesting that
1: that, I just, I, I don't know that I remember Nichelle Nichols' mannerisms well enough to really say, but that's, that's cool that, that's cool that she is. And I think we, she's not in this episode that much, but I think we'll have a lot to talk about her in the second episode. Yeah. I will just say as an aside I feel like the old number one deserves a lot better than being commander of the USS Archer like she's so much better than that
0: yeah captain Pike just like can't you used to having so many broads on a bridge gotta give them the shitty archer with three crew members I mean e. Pike did say something really sexist in the first uh in the
1: first archer pilot. <laughs> that is true i I don't know yeah. what I don't know what else to say about that no yeah. <laughs> So did you get a lot of vibes of
0: Star Trek The Motion Picture from this first episode? Yeah, I could feel it. with was just Pike doing the addressing the ship-wide thing using like the um, intercom or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And some of the shots of the ship itself, and like
1: inside the ship and then also the, the scene of the shuttle coming up to the ship. Yeah, it just felt very much like Star Trek The Motion Picture. yeah. Well, it's good to see that the tradition of Pike being very angsty in his quarters, that, that continues. We see it in the cage. But, you know, after the events at the end of Discovery Season 2, you know, he has even more material for angst, a lot more intense <laughs> material for angst. So he's angsting really hard. We see him having a heart, nice heart-to-hearts with Spock in this episode. We'll see him have a nice hearts-to-heart with number one in uh, the next episode. So, you know, just, uh, just the tradition is alive, man. So do you think like this creates something of a problem for prequels, right? Where you have, on the one hand, it's great that you have like well-acted emotional scenes between Pike and Spock. But on the other hand, I don't know, does the fact that like Spock is also having heart-to-hearts with his first captain kind of make the scenes of him and Kirk in the
0: original series a little cheaper, maybe? I mean, they, they really does because... It makes it seem like Spock's just, you know, that's just part of his job or something. And not that he really had a connection <laughs> with Kirk.
1: He, he, he's he's the Enterprise Captain's emotional support Vulcan.
0: Exactly. That's... Yeah. He's doing his job. So, uh, does...
1: If you could do a drug that would temporarily displace your consciousness, Matt, would you do it?
0: Mm, probably not. But, I mean, it, 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 it might be fun. I don't know. <laughs>
1: i mean i i totally would i I, uh, I i even if you do uh wind up seeing your own death i just kind of want to do that stuff that that yeah. sounds fun
0: <laughs> i mean i kind of i mean i don't want to do it just to see my own death period that'd be i mean that does i, I, I don't know i mean you' be very die. morbidly curious about your own death matt yeah but i mean you'd be trying to avoid everything you know but that that one particular possibility of how you you, you died i I know how i'm going to die matt just like elvis okay on on the toilet (laughs) I don't I don't
1: don't need I don't need to do a space mushroom to tell me that (laughs) so in like the central like moral dilemma of this episode we're kind of asking if the prime directive should apply to this world where you know they kidnap number one and they've developed a warp bomb based on their observation of the big final fight from Discovery season two so what was your thought on whether or not the prime directive should apply in this case?
0: I, I don't, I do not think so because we, we gave them the technology to like, to do it. So we mm-hmm. already fucked up from the get from the beginning.
1: Well, what if, so the way they frame it is that like, Oh, everybody would develop warp drive before a warp bomb, unless something weird happened, And like, you know, then the, the, something weird here being the battle at the end of disco season two, right. but say for like sake of argument, not because of any interaction with the humans or the Vulcans or the Klingons or anyone, but just on their own, like a society went ahead and developed a, like a warp bomb instead of a warp drive. Do you think the prime directive should still apply or do you think you should intervene because like the capacity for a warp bomb is so dangerous or because it exhibits like a similar level of, complexity and advancement to the warp drive
0: yeah i think they should intervene if it's a warp bomb that that just sounds like a reason to go in just screw the prime directive
1: yeah yeah i mean that that's certainly what i would lean towards too although i'm i'm also i i think the prime directive is kind of morally wrong to begin with so i mean i I, my answer is usually going to be ignore the prime directive yeah it is a nice little reminder, though, uh, in this episode that most of, like, the procedures of Starfleet, including, like, Prime Directive and First Contact, are do originate with the Vulcans, which is a nice way to kind of, like counteract sometimes you know star trek because of limits of imagination or limits of makeup budgets it you know can be a very human-centric future but it's a nice little way to be like eh, actually the vulcans uh laid down most of this already and then were you surprised that we have uh, dr mbinga nurse chapel on board
0: yeah i thought uh, in Bingo, he was on like several episodes of the original series right i think just two two okay
1: And he's shown as being, like, a specialist in, like, Vulcan physiology. So in some ways it makes sense that he would already be, like, on the ship and particularly
0: familiar with, like, Spock's, like, human Vulcan physiology. Yeah, and then you've got Nurse Chapel who, you know, I I don't remember much about her on the original series. I
1: I mean, she's pretty forgettable. Uh, She's played by Majel Barrett, right, who's also the voice of the computer and who played number one in the uh pi- the first pilot the cage and apparently the execs at paramount both really didn't like having a woman as number one and they also really didn't like particularly like magical barrett's acting and so they told roddenberry that he had to fire her or maybe they said you had to fire they had to either get rid of her or get rid of spock and so roddenberry's kind of ingenious solution because at this point i think um he and Magil Barrett were in a relationship. His ingenious solution was to just put a blonde wig on her and have her be the nurse instead, and the execs never noticed. Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, she, I mean she's, honestly, she's different here in this in this she seems like she's gonna be playing a much more like significant role in this show.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're kind of playing her almost like a little mad scientist y, right? Which yeah. I, I rather enjoy. It's I mean, as much as I like Magil Barrett. You know she's a great she's a really fun character actress we get to see her do you know luxana troy and we get to see her do one of um londo malari's wives from babylon five but as much as uh, i love her like the character of nurse chapel is never very well developed and her backstory is not great like we go into that in a kind of early star trek episode so seeing her here as um you know this kind of like little bit crazy mad scientist that was just that was just really fun so, Matt, do you think in the world they're visiting that pants are a sign of rank for men?
0: I mean, I, I don't think so because, number one, wears a skirt. Yeah, but, I mean, like, you know, Pike has pants, right? Just
1: not Spock. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe, you know, you, you got to be a certain level of seniority before you get pants. Otherwise, you're stuck in the short shorts. All right. And so we have an amusing, if a little preachy reference to uh, the second U.S. Civil
0: War from old Captain Pike. You think uh, we're in for a a second Civil War? No, because I think the majority of people are like content, just living their lives glued to their iPhones and listening to podcasts like this, Bob.
1: Matt, Matt, are you saying that we are single-handedly preventing the outbreak of the second U.S. Civil War? Is that what you're saying? We are, Bob. Wow. I, I never known that uh, Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds was such an important show. And
0: Kenny Trex is very important.
1: That's why you should go to Patreon.com and support us.
0: Yeah. Did you catch the uh, January 6th, like, insurrection footage?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was kind of funny because they, like, mailed, like, you would go from current U.S. political divisions to a second U.S. Civil War to the eugenics war. Than to world war three um, which i don't know like we gave um the discovery season four finale a lot of crap for like having a politician be uh you know a surprise cameo uh at the end of the episode and there is a, something that's kind of preachy about this but on the other hand it's i don't know it's not as overt or as clumsy as the preachiness that you would often see in discovery and I also like that it basically does make the US responsible for an apocalypse, which, you know, I think the US will be responsible for an apocalypse. So I you know, I, I appreciate that point.
0: It was it was just weird seeing something so recently.
1: Yeah, yeah. They very much seem like they're influenced by um, by contemporary events. I did love how the uh, crew basically does just do an alien abduction on the natives. Specifically, uh, once we have one of the natives escape, uh, you know, they beam him back to the ship to keep him sedated. And Cadet Uhuru has to charm the abductee, talk to him about local sports. That was just very funny.
0: Yeah, it was just, it cracked me up because it just reminded me of like, you know, the alien stories, we always, like, grew up with those abduction stories, you know, the the, the rednecks out in the woods get zapped up, and mm-hmm. they're uh, immediately, they're cut open, you know, put, they're put on slabs and cut open, you know, the, and then they wake up, and like, oh, they're on the ship, just like exactly what happened here, you know, that they woke up, and they saw they were operating on us, and they, <laughs> <laughs> it's got that same, uh, yeah, it's, it, it brought back memories of that kind of crap that we used to, you know, yeah, yeah, very Typical funny. Typical abduction f- stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, on that kind of abduction train, I mean, I don't want to minimize the horror of what um, Lieutenant Nooney and Singh went through in the past. But, you know, she'd been abducted by the Gorn ad- as a child. And I got to say, uh, being nibbled to death by baby Gorn on in a Gorn hatchery, uh, that, that seems like a cute way to go. That seems, kinda, you know, that
0: seems pretty adorable. Uh, i think that don't they like slice you open and use your innards as like a womb is that what that is that what happens i believe the way she put
1: it is that some humans are used for food and some are used as egg sacs. i believe that's mm. how she put it okay so like granted the egg sac thing that probably would be awful but i i don't know <laughs> i still just think baby baby lizards are cute and them nibbling you to death would be very funny like you remember the gorn wedding from uh, lower yeah. decks right
0: yeah i remember the gorn wedding
1: I'm I'm visualizing that, and I think that would be adorable. The climactic fight scene, it was kind of funny. It was pretty awkward, but I thought it was like in a pretty charming sort of awkwardness. It seemed to recall the the awkwardness of TOS and TNG fight scenes.
0: Yeah, I think it was choreographed that way on purpose.
1: Very much so, very much so. And so at the end of the episode, we meet our new engineer. He's an Anar, which is a, a subspecies of Andorians. And apparently he's going to be the uh, chief engineer
0: yeah um he's also uh i think the actor is actually blind oh cool cool yeah they
1: i i didn't i had no idea about that they do play that up i guess a little more in the next episode um but yeah that's that's neat that they went that direction yeah um so did you have a favorite character on this episode that isn't from Discovery season two, so that would mean no Pike, no Number One, no Spock.
0: Yeah, I like the uh, Leanne uh yeah, yeah, Singh. Yeah, so th- old th- o- Lieutenant Noonien Singh. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's gonna be kind of a standout character for this series.
1: Yeah, yeah, she certainly seems interesting. I'm not, I'm not totally sure if I'm like loving her yet, but the the connection to Khan is intriguing, and certainly the Gorn backstory is. That's a pretty cool backstory, right? yeah yeah i think my favorite would be nurse chapel i just love like the kind of mad scientist nurse chapel um i would say in general though like the entire bridge crew on this ship just seems so cool and so much more developed after just one episode than like any of the characters on discovery or prodigy are even to this point and it took like Picard like a season and a half to get its characters like really developed. So, I'm I'm just grateful that this is a show that come like comes right out the gate, has a diverse cast, but also knows how to like introduce that diverse cast in an economical, charming, and effective way. Like that's surprisingly rare in new Trek, it turns out.
0: Yeah, it, it's 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 a uh, it's interesting how much you can get in like one episode compared to, you know, 10 episodes of Picard. Yes. <laughs> So much well, with they, character they development when it's well written.
1: Yeah, well, and because they're doing like the familiar like original series formula, they like they can lean on the roles of each of the characters in fun ways, in ways that you can't really with like when you just have a bunch of random characters, which is kind of how Discovery, Picard, and Prodigy all roll. Like nobody has very well defined roles. It, it like it. I don't know. It just makes it harder to give the characters things to do in the plot and then to give them, you know, unique characteristics on top of what they're doing. And I, I don't know, in a way it's a sort of, I guess, just a celebration of the old star Trek formula where here you have an engineer and a doctor and a communication specialist and a scientist, and they're going to solve a problem.
0: Right. I mean, it feels like, you know, all the old Trek, we've, we've, we kind of grew up with next gen. Did you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did you recognize any of the new actors on the show?
0: No, I didn't really know who any of them were.
1: I thought a lot of them looked familiar, but most of them seemed to be very young and like very early in their careers. So I couldn't really find anything I recognized any of them from. The only exception to that is the guy playing Dr. Mabinga. Um, have you seen the new Dune movie? Not yet, no. Oh, you should, you should. Um, in the new Dune movie, he's a he's a character who's in the climax of the new Dune movie. Which, well, it's not new anymore; it's a year or two old now. And then there's a, a Amazon um, crime miniseries, which don't judge it by its its awful title. The title is awful, but it's a good, it's a really good miniseries called "Too Old to Die Young." Mm-hmm. And Dr. Mabinga plays like a Haitian gangster in that series. I really enjoyed him
0: in that. Okay. Um so you know when it comes to the characters we have you know several uh tos characters pike number one spock binga chapel uhura sam kirk kyle and uh pring uh are there any others that you think they may add later on bob Uh i don't know man i was trying to think
1: i mean i'm sure there are some other like small roles that could come back on the one hand you've Think they might bring back Rain Wilson as Harry Mud, but I I can't really remember how they wrote Spock's interactions with Mud in the original series, so I'm not sure if that would make sense or not. Hmm. Um, and then I'm sure there are other characters I'm thinking of. I, I Chekhov is too young, so you probably wouldn't work him into the show. Um, I guess you could uh, bring in a young Sulu or a young Scotty, but that that feels like it would just be gilding the
0: lily, you know. Yeah, I'm honestly good with the core cast they've we we have now. I don't know, not that they, I don't think they need to try to like add anymore. To just to, you know just for shits and giggles. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And I mean, if the cast changes or expands, I'm fine with that. But I, I don't want them to like feel compelled to like stick with original series characters, you know? Right. Yeah. So it, it, it definitely seems like a really, uh, really good, uh, really good start. So I guess to turn into, we always like to do a Thirst Watch section, if applicable. Um, so for the first Thirst Watch section, I guess to call back to Legion, Matt, would you say Superman
0: has more sexual tension with Saturn Girl, Triplicate Girl, or Brainiac 5? I'd say Saturn Girl because, like, she held his hand going into the time bubble.
1: Alright. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's true. That's true. I, I think I lean uh, Brainiac five myself, but I, I could see, yeah, there's, there's, there's sexual tension with all three of them. Certainly, certainly. And then, um, so my personal dream for this show is that literally, uh, spike will have sexual tension with literally every woman on the ship as well as Lieutenant Kirk. And this will put friction on his and Tipring's relationship. I think that would be very funny. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta uh, pick for the person that Spock is most likely to be thirsty with, who's not Dupree. I
0: mean, I hope they don't go the movie route and do Uhura, but
1: <laughs> they might. They might. Although that would just be kind of weird, especially given how long they worked together in the uh, original series. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. That'll make everything weird. Like for yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it also seems like they might be setting up something with Noonie and Singh, right?
0: Yeah, maybe, and maybe Nurse Chapel. I, I don't know. There's like a lot. Well, of... yeah. Well, Nurse Chapel having a thing for Spock was a
1: regular, a regular part of her being on um, mm-hmm. the original series. I mean, they didn't play it up super heavy, but it, it was definitely a part mm-hmm. of it. So. Um, any thoughts about Captain Battelle, Pike's friends with benefits? Um, did they mention like what her command was or anything? I don't think they did. I don't know. They didn't say. I just knew she was a captain. Yeah. I assume we'll come back to her in a later episode. And, you know, presumably we'll come back to Admiral April, too. But that'll, that'll be cool to see. Yeah. All right, Matt. Who was your uh, character of the week across both our
0: shows? All right, Bob. I'm giving it to Superman. Really? Yeah, you mean yeah, Superboy, he's, matt <laughs> no superman his origin story this is the uh the addition to his origin story you know we're getting this introduction to the legion superman wins
1: all right then yeah i'm definitely going to give it to daddy pike um i really loved ansem mount in season two of discovery yeah he's doing great work here in strange new worlds love to see it love the show uh very glad for it so yeah i'll, I'll definitely give it to pike uh, how about your
0: episode of the week matt Episode of the week, Bob. Strange New Worlds.
1: Yeah, kind of like our Young Justice versus X Men '92 show. Um, I think this one is going to be a little unfairly weighted. Where like every week, it's kind of it's probably going to be Strange New Worlds. As much as I love the Legion cartoon, it's it's probably going to be Strange New Worlds. Yeah. All right, so this has been our inaugural and somewhat elongated episode of uh, Legion of Superheroes versus Strange New Worlds. Join us for the next few weeks as we map out Strange New Worlds Season 1. We look at all this kind of retro future goodness and uh, hope you'll come along for the ride. And then come back with us to uh, Babylon 5 versus DS9 as a part of Uncanny Treks. Uh, So I am
0: Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.